Good. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I didn't look at the exact date, but I know it's certainly been over two months, not quite three months since I've last preached. You know, when John Calvin was away for a long time, he just picked right back off where he was three years and nothing happened. Um, But I do want to talk about some things that the Lord has shown me during these last two months. And what I want to do is, is straddle two things. On the one hand, I do want to talk about my experience But on the other hand, the focus of this sermon is not me, but Jesus. We need to be very clear about that. But we're giving him glory as we talk about what's happening in my life. So I'm going to read the sermon passage. And then it's going to take a little longer to get to the text than you might normally think. And in fact, if we did this all the time, I'd be uncomfortable with it. But I think this time it's okay. I think there's different times and different means for different purposes. So let us look at the first 11 verses of Philippians, we'll be focusing on the middle parts about what it costs for the Son of God to become man. But we're going to read the first 11 verses. Let's pay careful attention to God's word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, Be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Spirit, now, would you take and use your word in our lives? Would we come away from here people who are changed and deeper in love with our Lord Jesus? Amen. Well, kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be like? You know, you might name some really cool job like astronaut or maybe just someone who comes and saves the day like a firefighter or a policeman. Or maybe you want to choose to be someone like, you you know, an idol like a movie star or a singer or famous athlete like Patrick Mahomes. You know, someone who's famous. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? Chances are you want to be someone special, important. You want to be someone who's successful, strong and competent. What you wouldn't say is, well, you know, I want to grow up to be addicted to drugs, homeless, without a job. When I, when I grow up, I want a job that pays very little and leaves me stressed out all day long. When I grow up, I want to be helpless so that other people have to care for me. 
It's natural for you want to grow up big, big and strong. Kids, you want to get bigger, right? If you're, if you're little, you, you want to learn how to read and tie your shoes and eventually to drive and to be able to go to college or whatever and think for yourself. It'd be weird if you wanted to grow up to be helpless, right? So what do you do when you experience weakness and limitations in this life? What do you do then? When you lose a loved one unexpectedly, you lose your job, or your body, it, it doesn't work right, what do you do? The temptation is to hide your weakness, or to deny it, or to fear or hate it if it's impossible to ignore. Coming face to face with your own weakness, it, it's not fun. But it does give you the opportunity, especially in our very self-sufficient age, to better understand the incredible beauty and power that bursts from the good news of Jesus. And most of you know about my current fight with cancer. Returned home from my military deployment. Late August, by November, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer. If you saw me up close in October, you know I wasn't doing well. Don can attest to that. Quite simply, I was dying. The cancer attacked my kidneys, it shut down its function, it was spreading fast. Later I learned how aggressive my cancer is. The prognosis is months, not years, if untreated. For the first time in my life, I felt what it was like to be weak and helpless. And just for context, I had never been overnight in a hospital before. Right? I'm a healthy, active person who walks around with a spring in my step. By the first time I went to chemo, I could barely walk. I'd lost 40 pounds over the past year. When I was admitted, Elizabeth pushed me in on a wheelchair, in a wheelchair. That first round was rough on my body. It's killing all the cancer. And so it's dying off, and that's additional stress. The, the chemo's hard. Pushed my stats into the danger zone, and so the doctor sent me to the intensive care unit. And so there I was. On pain meds, mostly out of it, confined to my bed. I was in discomfort from a new port that was installed for dialysis. And I remember how they stopped the, the chemo and they wheeled in the portable dialysis unit into the room. And they, they hooked up the unit to me. And here I am, connected to all my monitors, my IV drip, and this machine which draws bright red lines out of my body, cleans the blood, and then returns it to me performing a function I can no longer do. And there, my discomfort, my limitations, and the fear of the unknown closed in around me. Questions world. Will I ever get better? Will I die and leave my children and family? Will I recover but have no kidney function and my life be changed forever? In that moment, I realized how little control I had over my life. I wouldn't wish that experience on anyone. But I want to share with everyone what happened next. Because you see, it was the Christmas season, or about to be, where we celebrate Jesus' incarnation. Kids, what does incarnation mean? Literally, in the flesh. God becoming man. And I was praying through my difficulties and crying out to God when this thought occurred to me. Life is not fun right now. My body is not great right now. Jesus, why ever did you knowingly take on one of these human bodies to live one of the hardest, most painful lives recorded in human history? Why? 
Why did you leave your power and your glory and choose pain and weakness to save me? You know, if someone had come up to me a year ago and said, hey, I'd like to offer you the experience to be ill for several months without you knowing it. And and then become so deathly sick that you had to go to the ICU fighting for your life. You know, what do you say? I'd pass. I'd say, no, thank you. I wouldn't choose that. I, I went through and I'm going through all of these treatments because they're necessary. It's my only hope of living. I wouldn't choose them unless I had to. And yet my Jesus chose his life to leave his life of power and glory and strength and become vulnerable like me. And I couldn't help but be overwhelmed as I'm sitting there helpless. Why, Lord? Why did you do it? You know, there is the danger of the Christian life, especially if if you've grown up in the church, to forget the beauty of the gospel. Where where this good news of Jesus can can become the old news. It's a battle, isn't it? We we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of his glory. It's it's human nature to hide our weakness and to downplay our need. And, And then that good news, it starts to fade and become old news. You know, it's, it's human nature. Two months ago, I was dying. Now it looks like I could live another 40 years. I, you know, I want to turn a new leaf in my mind. I, I want to carry on a new sense of, of gratitude and urgency because I've been given this new lease on life. But you know what? I can already feel myself slipping back into those old patterns of this life is the way it is. It's, it's human nature. It's a, it's a battle. And so when it comes to the gospel, we say that it's the same way. Jesus, Jesus died to save me from my sin. I know that. I'm thankful, but if I'm honest, it doesn't excite me that much anymore. I find my love growing cold. The news of my deliverance becomes commonplace. Well, Paul's going to say here, if you you really understand what it means for God to become man, it will excite you to love in action. Our passage shows a Savior who became like you to save you. And when you understand this good news, really understand it can never grow old. So let's read verses 6 through 8 again. We'll start at 5 just to complete the, start the thought. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equal, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in, in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. This is the story of God the Son voluntarily taking on the weakness and suffering of the human race. Jesus laid aside his status as God, creator, ruler of the universe. Paul says he was in the form of God. Now that phrase, form of God, is a difficult one to interpret. You have to look at what the phrase could mean in the Greek language and then what Paul, how Paul is using it in the passage, what we would call the context Here's what I believe is the best understanding. Paul's saying, in form of God means Jesus possessed all of the qualities of God, and so was God. Think about what this means. As the form of God, Jesus had infinite glory, power, knowing everything, everything that belonged to God. And so as God, who is the center of the universe, he had the right to everything that entailed. Now think about how power and authority works for human leaders. Generally, the higher you go up, the more perks and pomp you get, right? That's how it works. When I arrived in Kuwait, there was no great fanfare to greet Chaplain Barshan. 
Our replacements, well, the people we were replacing, they were there. They were excited, but not about us. They were excited about going home. Right? They, there was my fellow chaplain who shook my hand, and that was it. No big deal. Towards the end of our deployment, on the active duty side, we had a two-star general come in. She was you know, high up the chain. She was over all of us. Well, our brigade pulled out all the stops. We had meetings for days on end. We had all of our flights lined up. We had a special helicopter to take her from the airport to the installation. Then we had this, she had her own um, VIP quarters and her own convoy of SUVs to take her around. Right? The more important you are, the more perks you get. Well, God came to visit earth in the person of Jesus. And what kind of reception did he demand? Paul says in the end of verse 6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Although Jesus was God, he didn't hold on to his rights and demand the perks of his status. By the way, this implies once again that Jesus is God. He can only choose to give up things that are rightfully his. Equality with God. Instead of doing this, he emptied himself. And Paul says he, Jesus emptied himself in two ways. First of all, by becoming human. Jesus existed as God, the Son, in the very form of God, with all of the rights and privileges that he deserved. But he put that aside, and he took the form of a servant, form of God, now form of a servant in human likeness. Because he is like us in all the qualities of humanity, he became truly human. Think about what he gave up when he took on these additional features. Kids, what do you like least about your body? I mean, our bodies are really cool, and you can do a lot of awesome things, and you can run and jump and shout, but, you know, sometimes there's drawbacks, aren't there? You have to sleep. You can only be in one place at one time. You get sick. You break your bones. Jesus opened himself up to that entire experience when he became truly man. But of course he came down as a rich and powerful king who lived in luxury and comfort. No, he emptied himself and became obedient to his mission. Just as Jesus was and continued to be God in the form of God, he became human in the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient, even death on the cross. Jesus was the Christ. Christ meaning Messiah or the chosen, the anointed one. In one sentence here, Paul sums up the life of poverty, pain, and ridicule that Jesus chose to leave, lead. And in the end, he would die that terrible death in place of his people. Our, our shorter catechism sums up very well what Jesus chose to accept. Question 27 says, Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And humiliation doesn't just mean you're embarrassed in front of people here. This, this, is a, this means he allowed himself to experience the weakness of humanity. And this is the answer. Listen to this. Think about what Jesus was accepting when he chose his mission. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the curse of death of the cross and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. This is the emptying, the sacrifice that our Messiah made for us as his people. And it's very possible that Paul also has 
Adam, the first man, in the back of his mind as he's talking about this passage. And that's because of the theme of humanity. And there is the word obedient in verse 8, where he says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, that is significant because the only other time Paul uses the word about obedience and Jesus is in Romans 5.19. The Bible scholars out there, do you know the significance of Romans 5, second, chapter, second part of that chapter? Romans 5 talks about the difference between the first Adam who failed to obey and brought death and the second Adam, Jesus, whose perfect obedience brought life. There's a contrast there, and what a contrast. Think about Adam and Eve. They lived in the garden. They were without pain. They were without weakness. God created everything good. They were the pinnacle of creation. They had it all. And Adam brought pain and suffering into the world through his disobedience. He believed the lie of the serpent that if I just eat this one fruit that God set aside because he said, I am God and you cannot have this, and I'll become like him. I'll get the rights and privileges of God. And the results were tragic. Romans 5.17 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam's story of grasping for what is God's explains the problems we have today and why we need a Savior. And Jesus is just the opposite, isn't he? Instead of grasping, he gives up his power and his position as God, which is rightfully his. And he chose to experience the pain and suffering of this world to redeem his people. Romans 5.19 For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. How different can you be? Jesus becomes weak for us. But Paul says he doesn't stay that way. Verses 9 through 11, he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when I was lying in the ICU, I realized I needed someone to identify with me in weakness. Someone who knew what I was going through. But if that's all they can do, they're really no final help. You know, I saw some people when I got moved to the, the inpatient dialysis, they wheel me in, they wheel other people. And I saw some people who are far worse off than me at that time. And, you know, I had a lot more empathy for them in my condition. And I kind of shoot them some encouraging smiles underneath the mask. But I could do nothing to help them. And if Jesus is, all he can do is be helpless and weak. He's no Messiah. If all he can be is wheeled into the room next to me, he's no help to me or you. But he doesn't stay helpless. As we proclaimed in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into the realm of the dead. He experienced death like us, but then he rose on the third day. His suffering is not pointless. And as our Messiah, he's taken on our cause. He has defeated the curse brought by Adam and our own sin and made us right with God. Jesus is not just our creator who stands off but he has become our champion and our savior and worthy of worship. And that is why Paul says Jesus is exalted above every other name and he is Lord. Paul's clearly going back to Isaiah saying he is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is truly God. And he is the focus of proper worship. 
And since he has delivered us as a new people, we are to worship him. So what difference does this make in our lives? Jesus became helpless, but he doesn't stay that way. Well, I pray as we've been working through the text, part of the application is just thinking about the wonder. And so let's camp out there. Let's, let's just camp out so that the good news doesn't become old news. Part of worship is to stop and wonder why when we see God. We simply gaze at his glory and his goodness, at who he is and what he's done. Yesterday I was taking out the trash and so I'm hauling the big trash bucket behind me and the wheels and I turn around the corner and above the dumpster there's this beautiful sunset. Just this snap cold and there's just these oranges and pinks and hues bursting out and all of a sudden, even though it's cold and I, I want to keep going, I just stop and I say, wow. It's beautiful. It's what we do here. What kind of king is this? Who redeems his broken and rebelling world by trading his power and glory for vulnerability and suffering? Who does this? At the end, we're going to sing a hymn. And it starts off with saying, Who is this so weak and helpless, child of lowly Hebrew maid? And it answers its own question later. Tis the Lord of all creation who this wondrous path has trod. He is God for everlasting and for everlasting God. Who is this? This is so different from the paradigms of power that we experience today. Now, good leaders, good leaders may sacrifice for their people, but they rarely take their place. Wealthy people give to good causes, but they don't become poor. I'll give you an example I just read recently. Theodore Roosevelt, not president, but the father of President Roosevelt, was known for his generosity and social work. Not only was he, he was wealthy, but he was, had a way of getting his wealthy friends to give too. In fact, one of his friends calculated that when Theodore took a year-long trip with his family, he saved him about $1,000 in philanthropy, which today would be at least twenty-five grand, probably more, because he would just get money from his friends. He started a, a first-of-its-kind hospital, the New York Orthopedic Hospital, he was instrumental in founding the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the American Museum of Natural History. He supported numerous boys' homes for those newsies, the, the homeless boys that were on the street that would sell the newspapers. And he would go and visit and encourage them that they could go and they could have a better life. Theodore was incredibly generous, yet at the same time, he enjoyed his wealth, even flaunted it. He took his family for large trips abroad. Uh, he built a new opulent home in downtown New York City. And he was known to have some of the finest carriages and horses around. Now, there's nothing wrong with inherently wrong with enjoying your wealth. And you see even, but you see how his generosity, which was beautiful. Uh, Theodore did not become poor like the people he helped. And we wouldn't expect him to, would we? I mean, that, that, that would be odd. Um, why do we not give that much? Well, part of it is because we don't like to experience pain and weakness. All things being equal, I would not have volunteered for my cancer experience. Am I grateful for it? Now, yes, God has worked through it. But most of the time what we do is we use our wealth and our resources to insulate ourselves from the hardships of life. I think actually today in our modern world where we can control more of our life, we are even more frightened of our weaknesses. 
We are utterly terrified of the possibilities of what may come. A cancer diagnosis. Starting to fight Alzheimer's, MS, Parkinson's, and old age. To have your body ravaged by Lou Gehrig's disease. Or to lose your business, your wealth, or loved one before your own time. And then, of course, finally death. Now, I know some of you have experienced these things. And maybe are experiencing them right now. But no one in their right mind would choose these things. No one says, when I grew up, I want to experience pain and suffering. And yet, as we look and wonder, that's exactly what Jesus did. In effect, he said, when I grow up, I will be an outcast, misunderstood, opposed, and hated. And after a short life, I choose to die one of the most agonizing deaths for the sake of my people. And that is what makes the good news of Jesus so shocking, that God became man to die for people who didn't deserve their love. The Apostle Paul sums it up so beautifully, again Romans 5, starting at verse 6. For while we were weak, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This week, Jesus calls each one of you to accept and even to admit and perhaps even sometimes to rejoice in your own weakness. Remember that passage in Mark, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's no accident right before that Jesus contrasted the healthy and the sick. Jesus says, I'm the doctor and I happen to be the savior for sick people who actually realize that they are sinners and weak and need help. That's Jesus' call for us. I've been speaking to the church today, to followers of Jesus who gathered to worship him. Let me just stop and speak to someone who might not be a Christian. Perhaps you're non-religious. Maybe you're watching this or listening to this. Maybe you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. You know, if you look around the world and you are honest... You know that things are not right with the world. And you know that things are not right with you. The world, it's, it's beautiful, but it's broken. And you, there's some incredible things about you. And yet, if you're honest, you don't even meet your own standards, let alone what, what God might require. And at the end of the day, even if you make it through the litany of troubles that I may have mentioned, death hangs over you as a reminder of your weakness. The world is not right. You are not right. Something is wrong. And that something is because you, we are not right with God on our own. We are like Adam, trying to make ourselves the center of the world, trying to take the place of God, and it doesn't end well. So today I ask you to consider the claims of Jesus. Jesus, again, in effect says, when you die, there is a final judgment before a holy God. But no... I died as God and man in your place. Jesus says, if you are to accept me, I must be Lord. I must be first place in your life. Unconditional surrender. But I put aside my glory 
and experienced your pain as your servant Savior, who else would you rather live for? What do you make of that? Where do you stand with Jesus today? That's a question that only you can answer. To the church, the followers of Jesus, disciples, he says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is talking to the religious people of his day, and they tried to hide their weakness by being good and keeping God's law. And he says, oh no, oh no, no, you're weak too. And your only hope is to accept your weakness and to rejoice in my sacrifice for you. Church, are you willing to admit that you are a weak person that needs a Savior? Are you amazed by this gospel that you've heard today, even though you may have heard it a thousand times before? Earlier I said it, it's a battle, isn't it? To keep the good news from becoming old news. Well, here are two ways to arm yourself as you go out this week. And the first is to call out to God in prayer. Prayer is a wonderful weapon to keep the good news fresh because it expresses your dependence on God. Right out from the beginning of the gate, you are admitting your help. You need help. Pray this week, Father, send your spirit to work wonder in my heart over what Jesus has done for me. Don't let the beauty fade in my mind. Don't let the good news grow old. You can pray scripture. You can pray Romans 5. For when we were weak, God showed his love for us. You can pray the hymns. You can pray with awe from and can it be. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. How can that happen? You can pray with wonder from alas and did my Savior bleed. My God, why would you shed your blood? So pure and undefiled. To make a sinful one like me your chosen precious child. When you call out in prayer, expressing your helplessness, God is going to change your heart. That is part of the gospel logic of grace. You know, we know we don't go closer to God by just trying harder and working our way up the disciplines. But by reaching out to Jesus, looking to him, and receiving his grace. And so pray. Ask God this week to give you a heart that rejoices in the good news. And the second way is when you experience your own limitations and weaknesses, remember your Savior who has become weak for you. If you are like me, including during this period, you tend to start complaining when you hurt. When you start kind of grumbling. But understand that God can use these times to give you a glimpse of the depths of his sacrifice in Jesus. As you were hurt, you could say, Jesus, why in the world did you become like me? And when you stand amazed at that incarnation, then you have a hope in pain like no other. In the midst of sorrow and suffering, and even the mess caused by your own sin, you have hope. You can say this, world is broken. My body is failing. I fall short. Yet I have a Savior who became weak for me. And whatever I'm experiencing right now, and it is hard, and the pain is real, I can cling to the hope of my Savior who became weak for me, but he didn't stay that way. You can let God use your experience of weakness and turn it into a deeper understanding and appreciation of his good news. 
And so, people of God, may this week God give us the grace so that his good news never becomes old news. Please pray with me. Father, there are many things in this world that we don't understand. Some we may not understand until heaven and maybe not even then. But when we look at Jesus coming and all of his humility, our questions go from why God? Why would you allow this? To why Jesus, our Messiah, did you choose to come into this world and become like me to save me? And so we ask, Spirit, that you would take this powerful passage and the truth of who our Lord is and what he has done this week. Would you give us a supernatural joy that whatever we face, wherever we go, your good news is fresh and vibrant and we're singing your praises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.